Morning. All right, if you've got your Bibles, let's go over to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 16 together. Continue in the uh, series that we have uh, been in, in the Chronicles. There's a lot of wisdom in these passages, and I hope they've been a huge encouragement uh, to you. Today we're looking at seasons a little bit. You know, sometimes things change, and uh, sometimes there are things we love, and we've been looking forward to changes. Maybe you've got a senior in your house, and you are looking forward, or he or she is looking forward to new opportunities and new things that are going to be coming your way. Certainly that's a season of life that we can plan for and prepare for and and think about and kind of get ourselves together for. Certainly if you have lived here and you're not visiting with us from out of state, uh, you've been waiting for a new season. And I think it came yesterday about 11 a.m. Finally. I was out on a run yesterday and I was passed by a pack of 16 bikers all together on their road bikes going fast. And I thought, yes, spring is here. The bikers are out. So that's good. It was a great day. But there's a, there are seasons we look forward to. There are seasons we don't look forward to. But we know they're coming. And maybe it has to do with an empty nest or some other season of your life relationally. And you're like, okay, I know this is coming, but I don't necessarily know how to get ready for it. I, I don't know how to be happy about it because it's difficult And so before you get there, there's a lot of tensions. That's a season of life that we have to prepare for. Some of them are longed for. Some of them just come. There's seasons of life that surprise us. We didn't know they were going to come. That's what we're looking at today when we look at King Asa. This was a season of his life that was thrust upon him, and the day before it came, he had no idea that things were about to change. And change drastically. And so if you're in those moments where things have changed, whether you've gotten ready for them and you want to, you've gotten ready for them and you don't want to, or it's been thrust upon you, I think there's going to be something for you and for me from this passage. So it's a short chapter, and I hope you don't mind. We're going to read the whole thing together, and, and then we'll jump in. All right? So Second Chronicles chapter 16, let's look at this guy Asa and what he was all about. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took the silver and the gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered Aijon, Dan, Abel-Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Basha heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Basha had been using. With them he built up Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, 
The army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet you relied on the Lord, and he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Asa was angry with the seer because of this, and so he, he was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians. Then in the 41st year of the reign of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier covered with spices and various blended perfumes, and they made a huge fire in his honor. So, Lord, we, we need your help today to understand fully what you want us to understand from this passage. And I pray that uh, you'd open our eyes today, open my eyes, teach me what I need to know as, as I enter into a new season. Help me be your uh, servant. Help me rely fully on you and not on anything but you. And uh, Lord, we'll give you the honor and the praises and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So when the United States of America was about as old as the southern kingdom Judah, in other words, Judah in Asa's day had been a country together, had separated from, from Israel They were the divided kingdom. We'll talk about that in a little while, but for about 80 years. When our country was 80 years old, President Lincoln said this about our country. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved through these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. That's exactly where Asa is in this moment. I don't know if President Lincoln had Asa in mind when he delivered that speech in 1863, but he certainly could have. And so here Asa is, and he is living on the beautiful promise made to him when he was a young ruler. Remember last week we took a look at that, and we learned a lot of cool things about Asa last week. He started well. Remember he removed all the high places? Remember he removed the idols? And as Gary taught us last week, he removed the superficial and the artificial He got rid of those things so that they could focus on serving the Lord together. And he brought in a revival in the land. 
He relied on God, and the result was peace. And if you remember, the promise from the prophet last week, as he came in and he said, Asa, because you've served the Lord and because you've relied fully on the Lord, you are going to have peace as long as you serve him. So the result was peace. What are we looking at this week? The absence of peace. There's trouble. Years later, and we'll take a look at that in just a minute. Asa called out to the Lord last week. Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11. And he said, uh, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless. To help the powerless against the mighty. And if you remember, last week a prophet came to Asa. In chapter 15, verse 8, this prophet, Azariah, came to Asa and said, Listen, because you've humbled yourself, because you haven't said, I can do this without the Lord, because you haven't looked to yourself to deliver Judah, you are going to be rewarded as we go forward with peace all the days of your life. Listen, when you live your life humbly, the hard words of the prophets are designed to bring you comfort. And that's exactly what they did last week. We'll look at the contrast in just a few minutes. Asa and all Judah made an oath to pursue the Lord wholeheartedly, and the Lord rewarded them. And there was no more war, according to chapter 15, verse 19. But God brings new seasons. And we're at a new season. It's a new season that was thrust upon Asa. Asa was going about his business, doing what he had always done, and this king from the north comes up, in his, up to his border and says, okay, there's going to be trouble. And so in this new season, I want us to underscore some lessons that we can learn. When you're going through a new season in life, resist the urge to trust your own resources to manufacture God's, lo- God's will. We tend to look to ourselves, and we tend to look to what we can provide, both internally in terms of planning out what the will of the Lord is going to be for us, and externally in terms of resources to make it happen. On this map I want you to look at, I want to explain what's kind of going on here. That is not, that is not a t-shirt for a local fun run. As much as that looks like a giant shoe, that's a beautiful thing, right? It's not a giant shoe. And actually, if you remember, when David was king... And then when Solomon was king, Israel, all the way over here and all the way down to here, they owned all that land and it was all under the, the Israeli control, under King David and, and Solomon. But what happened was there was a break in the kingdom, and you guys all know that there's a northern and a southern. In the north was, in essence, all of the disobedient ones, the ones that never really ever returned to the Lord in their heart. And they were ruled always by wicked kings, all right? And so right now, they're being ruled by Basha. And when I say right now, I mean in our story today. They're being ruled by Basha. And so all of this is under his control. And the best way that I can do this is I go to the top of the Dead Sea, and I just put a line across it, and then I remember that's the line of demarcation between north and south in terms of the kingdoms. The city that Basha is trying to fortify today is right five miles north of Jerusalem. It is right there. It's called Ramah. And there is one road that leads from Ramah to Jerusalem. And in essence, Basha is cutting off everybody going down into Judah and everybody coming out of Judah because the main road out of the main city is controlled by him. Probably what was happening is a lot of people were defecting from the north and saying, hey, this guy down in the south, Asa, is good. He's, there's peace there. 
It's a peace that's been rewarded by God. So there's probably, they were losing a lot of people and even some, some soldiers potentially. And so Basha, the northern ruler, got tired of that and sick of that. And so he set up a line right there and brought all sorts of um, resources to start to fortify the cities. Most of the resources came from up here, and we don't have to go into that right now and tire the lots. But anyway, um, so down in the south, Asa says, what am I going to do? First thing he does is he looks to his own resources and he plunders the, uh, the temple that, that had just been built in a previous generation. Maybe 60, 70 years earlier, the temple's complete. It's full of valuable stuff. It's an amazing artifact and, and like uh, uh, just an honor to God to have all these resources. And Asa, the first things he does is he begins to panic and says, how am I going to fix this problem? He looks to his money. New season of life thrust upon you. Is that the first place you turn? To, to your resources? To what you've saved up? To what you're about? To what you have? Right? Because he, Asa, is not chastised because he turned to money. He's chastised because he did not turn to the Lord first. There's nothing wrong with using money to fix a problem if you've gone to the Lord to ask for help first. So here's what Asa does. He says, okay, um, there's this guy, Ben-Hadad, whose capital is Damascus, and this is all Aram over here. And he says, okay, I'm going to pay off this guy and make an alliance with uh, a foreign leader. Now, that may not sound like a bad idea, and in fact, politically, it turns out to be a pretty good move. As we see in this story, he puts to rest this uprising. And here's what he does. He says, okay, uh, Ben-Hadad, will you bring your troops in so there's a second front so that Basha has to, has to decide what to do and which fight is he going to fight? And so that's exactly what happens. Ben-Hadad brings his, his armies, and he doesn't stop here. He comes all the way down to the Sea of Galilee, and all the cities named in this story are right around here. So he is like in his grill. He is in the heart of Israel, and, and uh, Basha has to make up his mind, what am I going to do here? And so he turns to fight the, the war on the north, and uh, Ben-Hadad uh, does exactly what he agreed to do, and then he retreats, and by the time he retreats, um, Asa down here has gone up where, where Basha has brought all these resources. He swiped all the resources and took them down, and he fortifies his cities on the same line so that he can have political victory there, and, and, and he does have political victory. Okay? But listen, he did not turn to the Lord. Chapter 14, there's trouble brewing. First thing he does, turn to the Lord. Chapter 16, there's trouble brewing. Look at verse 2. First thing he does, Asa then took the silver and the gold out of the treasury of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. Did not seek the Lord. Did not ask for help. He turned to his own resources and he turned to his own relationships. Listen, a new season of life It is a huge temptation to turn to people first. Fix my problem. Who will fix my problem? Who will rescue me? Who will come and be my savior? Listen, only God is intended to save you and me out of the the trouble of life. And in new seasons of life, it is so easy for us to look at a person around us and place an expectation on them and say, you should save me. 
And we must be very careful when we are tempted in that direction. It's what, it's what Asa is chastised for here today. Asa, don't look to this foreign king. Don't look to your resources and your money. Don't plunder the very temple of the Lord to get your way. Asa is challenged by Basha, and uh, we see the results. Well, here's a question I was asking myself today as I thought through this, or not today, but this week. Uh, Why is it that we struggle so much in these new seasons of life? I mean, why is it that a new season placed upon us would make us struggle? We know they're going to come, right? I think we hate change. We, we, we want things, as long as they're somewhat peaceful, we want things to remain as they have been. And so we hate change. We don't plan for change. We try to avoid change. We try to use all of our resources and relationships to force things not to change, even when, it, obviously, the change is from God. Maybe you're facing a situation in your life right now medically. And listen, it's a new season. No, no way around it. It's a new season of life. God has brought it somehow, some way. And if you're like me, you're trying to look to every resource you have to make it not change. Because you loved the old day. You love what you, where you came from. And in our lesson today, we're learning that Asa can't stay in the old season. We don't like change. We don't plan for it. We expect worldly peace and overt blessing to be constant. Remember what Abraham Lincoln said in our quote earlier? He said, he said we thought that the reason we were so blessed is because of us, because of what we were doing. I haven't changed. Why should God remove the blessing? Why should there be a new day? Why should there be a new season thrust upon me? Look, I didn't change. I didn't sign up for this. And we just think that God's blessing and overt peace is always going to be there. Remember what was promised him earlier in his life? Because he sought the Lord when he was young, the prophet came and said, Asa, as long as you serve the Lord, peace will remain. And this new season challenged God's promise. Are you in a new season that is challenging God's promise? Do not let the new season shake you to the point where you are not trusting the promise that God has given to you. We're going to see later in this story that had he believed the promise, had Asa believed the promise of the Lord, unbelievable blessing was in store for him. But he didn't. He took matters into his own hand. He looked for how to spend money, and that's the next thing I want us to see. Why do we struggle in new seasons? It's because as we get older, we tend to amass more money. That's a tendency. Some of us are older and you don't have more money than you've ever had before. But when you get older, you've got resources to spend and you can look to yourself, hey, I'm sufficient here. I've got some, I've got some resources to spend. And again, as we said earlier, there's nothing wrong with spending resources if you seek the Lord first. Seek the Lord first. The problem in our culture today is that you don't even need resources to spend crazy amounts of money. The bank will give you as much as you want. If you sign a paper that says you'll pay it back. And here's the next real principle I want you and me to grapple with, is that in new seasons of life, don't violate God's financial principles because you think you're justified in it. Because you think, okay, now I'm in a hard spot here and I've got to do something. Nikki and I are sending our firstborn off to college 
We got the little acceptance letter in the mail, a couple of them, one month ago, and, and now the place that he, is, uh, he was hoping and dreaming to go, Moody Bible Institute, and we're asking ourselves about sending him there and what that's going to look like. But I have, I've met couples that have said, look, financially, we try to do this, we try to do this, we try to do this, we try to do that. We've been so careful. Comes to college, as much debt as you need. Just take on as much debt as you need because college is the thing to take on debt for. Right? And I'm not saying you should never take on debt for college. Here's what I'm saying. Don't violate God's financial principles in a new season of life because you think the world around you thinks it's normal to do so. Listen, guys. The king here, Asa, was in a hard place. And if, he, if what he did in this scenario was examined by the political leaders of his day, they would have all said, A+. Plus. You did the right thing. You, you, sure, you had to give up your, the resources of the temple. Surely, sure, you had to give up the resources of your palace. But at the end of the day, you knocked down the revolt. You knocked out your opponent. And you made a treaty with the king in Damascus. And he's a new friend of yours. All your people were saved. Your border was intact. You fortified your cities. Bravo, King Asa. You did everything right. But you are going to see, and I'm going to see, that is not God's assessment of this scenario. Because he spent money that wasn't his. Because he used resources before he sought the the face of God. Because he did it his way and in his flesh rather than trusting the Lord through it. So we don't like, we, we struggle with these new seasons because maybe we have resources now that we've never had before and we think first to, to maybe to spend them in the way that seems right or normal to us. We become prideful and self-reliant, desiring to solve our problems apart from God. I really believe, and if we can go back to that other one just for the point, yeah. I really believe that as we get older in the Lord, we tell ourselves we should be able to figure this out by now. You're 40 years into your relationship with God. You're 20 years into your relationship with God. And in the quiet place of your mind and heart, you think, hey, God doesn't have time for this. He doesn't have time for myself. I've been following him for 20 years. Doesn't he expect me to figure some stuff out on my own by now? Shouldn't I be mature enough to be able to make some decisions and I see the general direction of God all of my life? It's always been about peace. It's always been about protection. In Asa's case, It's always been about me getting the blessing of my youth and and, and walking in the promise of peace. I've always had that. I'm just going to keep doing what God has been doing all of my life, but I'm going to use my flesh and my resources and my friendships to do it my way. And he's chastised for that. Listen, God does not want you to get to a point 20 years into your relationship with with him where you don't need him anymore. He does not intend for you to become this mature believer who doesn't need to seek the face of God when you make decisions. That is not his intent. He wants you and me to remain powerless. Little children in his sight who would come into his presence and say, Lord, isn't it your hand? Remember what we said in chapter 14? What we said is that Asa called to the Lord, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. And he did not want Asa to grow into a king late in his reign that didn't believe that or act on that any longer. But you and I have that tendency. Shouldn't we have figured this out by now? 
And we see growth in our life. And we think that growth in our life means that, that God's at work in strong ways. And so we should start trusting ourselves. I read a quote this week from Andrew Murray. It's one of my favorite quotes. And it's on this topic. And I just love it. It's a lengthy quote, so, so bear with me. Here's another reason why we struggle in this new season. Because we think the growth that's happening is growth that's from God. And sometimes the growth that's happening, Andrew Murray says this about that growth. Consider a moment what, consider a moment what this pruning or cleansing is. It is not the removal of weeds and thorns or anything from without that may hinder the growth. So he's, he's, he's going to the gardener, and he's talking about being pruned, right? And he's talking about the gardener coming into your life and my life to prune. And he's saying here, first, the first line is, he's not taking weeds and rocks and stuff out from around the roots, something that came from outside. No. It is the cutting off of the long shoots of the previous year, the removal of something that comes from within, that has been produced by the life of the vine itself. It is the removal of something that is proof of the vigor of its life. The more vigorous the growth has been, the greater the need for the pruning. It is the honest, healthy wood of the vine that has to be cut away. And why? Because as that growth stays there, it demands the sap of the stem and, and the fruit in the next season is diminished because the sap is going to things that I'm growing in my life that are really not of God. They're of me. And so the pruner's hand comes into my life to lovingly cut off growth that's me. And so after each season of work, God has to bring us to the end of ourselves, to the consciousness of the helplessness and the danger of all that is of man. To feel that we are nothing. All that is to be left of us is just enough to receive the the power of the life-giving sap of the Holy Spirit. What is of man must be reduced to its very lowest measure. All that is inconsistent with the most entire devotion to Christ's service must be removed. Essentially, the vine cannot say, I produced beautiful, sweet fruit last season. This year, I'm going to lie in the sun, soak up the rain, produce leaves, and look beautiful. does not work that way. One of the reasons we don't like change is because we look at how we served yesterday, how we served in a previous season, and we say, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? Isn't that enough? And the pruner's hand comes in and cuts the growth of my life so that I can produce fruit this season and next season, all the days of our life. Listen, this new season is of God. It's something that God was bringing into Asa's life. And Asa is standing there as the king and seeing maybe five miles down the road from a high place that there was a fortified line of of an army coming against him. He's remembering that he was promised peace all the days of his life. He takes matters into his own hands and... uh, He tries to save the day in his own strength. And he thinks he's justified in doing that. Listen, let me say one thing before we move on to the next thing. It is so easy for me to defend my motives in the midst of a new season. And saying the reason I spent the money was this. The reason I went that direction was that. Right? 
We're going to see when the prophet comes to, to uh, Asa in just a minute. The prophet doesn't want to have any of Asa's excuses and motivations. He's not looking at motivations. He's looking at actions. And so in the new season of life, don't try to justify your actions before God. In a new season of life, lay your, excuse me, in a new season of life, don't try to justify your motives before the Lord. Lay your actions before the Lord and ask him to reveal what's right about what you're doing or not right about what you're doing. So in a new season of life, number two, resist the urge to reject justified rebuke. Listen, rebuke can be a good thing. And as we looked at it a little bit earlier, earlier in Asa's life when he was humble before the Lord and seeking the Lord, when the prophet came to him, he welcomed the prophet. And the prophet had good news for him. Here a little bit later in his life, Asa's done his thing. And again, if the world around it looked at his behavior, he would have given him high marks. And he gave himself high marks. Beware. I'm saying this to myself first. In a new season of life, when you think you've handled the transition really well, when you think your motives are defensible, when you think you've got it figured out, beware. Okay? Because here comes the prophet to Asa, and listen to what he says. Verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, and the seer just means a prophet. That's an early word for that. He came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Now let's pause there. And What's he saying? He's saying, look, early in your reign when you humbled yourself, you had two different groups coming against you, and, and they were the Cushites and the Libyans. The Lord delivered them into your hand. If you had humbled yourself in this moment, the Lord would have not only protected you from Basha, king of Israel, but what we're hearing from Hanani here, the prophet, is that the Lord would have also delivered Ben-Hadad into his hands. He's saying there were two enemies in the past. The Lord had no problem delivering him if you, because you sought him first. Now you've got two enemies coming your way. You've got an enemy coming your way. And if you had served the Lord, you have no idea what he would have had in store for you. I cannot tell you how many times I think, I believe, I live with fleshly produce aimed at spiritual goals and it's just okay. And that's what was happening here with Asa. Did he win? Yeah. Did his people have peace? Yeah. But how much more would he have had had he served the Lord? Early in our ministry, Nikki and I had um, a situation where uh, a recent, I think he was a, a senior in high school, was in a car accident. And it was on uh, I-70 in Columbus, Ohio. It was a weird situation. He kind of walked away from the, from the, the crash. Later that night, he walked into an emergency room, and the docs looked at him and said, you know, I don't know really what's going on here. We can't find a fault, a problem. Looks like you may have kind of a little brief, you know, kind of concussion. But um, other than that, we, we can't find anything, and they sent him home. Two days later, he went back to the emergency room, and by the time he came back to the emergency room, he had tremendous physical problems, and uh, his life was in, in danger. 
And so he was on an operating table. I had never met this kid before in my life. I'd heard his name before. And the first time I ever laid eyes on him, it was new in the ministry. He was literally laying on an, an, uh, an operating table, uh, a face so swollen up that you could, it was extremely difficult thing to look at. And so the pastors of Southeast Columbus, Ohio, get together and pray for this kid. We come to the conviction that the medical community cannot help him because they don't know what it is the problem. And so we hold regular prayer vigils and pray and ask God to do a work in this kid's life. A week later, he's improving. Two weeks later, he's coming home from the hospital. And we hold a service together saying, the Lord has healed this young man. What an amazing act of God. How good and gracious is the Lord to heal him. He had just graduated from high school, and a couple of local businessmen came together and said, look, if he goes off to college, if he goes off to school, we'll pay for him to go. And they, they were about to tell him this news, that they were going to give him, in essence, a full ride to college, when his family decided to sue the hospital. They said, hey, listen, you didn't see what the problem was at first. We could have avoided this problem had you, had you understood the issue ahead of time. And uh, we're really upset that you didn't get it right. Now, listen. The whole Christian community had come together and said, the medical community had no hope to do this healing. God did the healing. He was there in the midst of us worshiping the King of Kings and saying, it's all you, you did it. And a month later, he's suing somebody who was negligent or he thought was negligent. To make a long story short, the, the three men got together and said, well, as long as he's got this, this uh you know, litigation in play, we're not, we're not going to come and tell him about our intention to give him a full ride to school. And so a month goes by and two months goes by. They get to court. The, the hospital says, look, we're not admitting any wrongdoing, but we are willing to settle out of court. The young man says the day before the trial, no, we're going to court. And in court, the, the judgment came r- rightly through that the hospital had no fault whatsoever and he got nothing. And the three men that were going to pay his way through college backed off and never said a word to him. And here he was, a young man who did not seek the Lord in this moment. He said that he sought the Lord. He said that he wanted the Lord's presence in his life. And yet at the end of the day, he was going for money. And he missed out on a huge blessing that could have come in his life. And how many times do I live my life like that? And Annie here to, to Asa is saying, look, if you had sought the Lord first, you would have not only received the reality of being saved from Israel and Basha, you would also have had victory over the king of Aram and that country and Ben-Hadad too. The Lord would have done great things. But that's not what you did. And so not only are you not blessed, but for the rest of your life, according to what Hanani says here, you are going to have trouble and war the rest of your life. Now, wait a second. Didn't I get promised peace when I was young? Yeah, you got promised peace when you were young as long as you served the Lord. And now he's not serving the Lord and he's walked away and he's gone his own way. And the result was that the Lord comes in and says, now, now you're going to have war. You're going to have trouble the rest of your life. Rebuke is a hard thing. 
When someone comes to rebuke you, rebuke me, we have to have put on the right mind. How are we going to receive rebuke? Asa should have listened to the prophet early in his life. The word from the prophet was good news. Here in his life, because he's been disobedient, the word from the prophet is bad news. How do you and I receive rebuke in this world? By the way, we should be occasionally rebuking one another. When you see shortcoming in my life. You should be coming to me and saying, listen, is there a shortcoming here? Now, that doesn't mean willy-nilly. That doesn't mean every Sunday, you know, you look for me, hey, I don't really like that, all right? All right? That's not going to go well for any of us if that's where we're at, where we're every Sunday looking for one another because we got another, you know, grind to axe. But if there are moments in your life or moments in my life where I've done wrong, where I have lived my life disobediently, the, the concept of membership is that we are connecting ourselves together so tightly that when we rebuke one another, we won't just run out a back door and get angry like Asa does here. That we care about each other that much. And again, membership is not just tied to rebuking. All the members come together, let's rebuke each other. Let's have a real rebuke fest tonight, you know? Yeah, that's a party, right? I think I'll stay home that night. But it's part of it that we're accountable to one another. How do you receive rebuke? Well, I'm just going to list a couple real quick, okay? Number one, you really have to go and ask the Lord if the rebuke is from him. Lord, are you sending this person to me with legitimate concerns about my life? We go to uh, Psalm 119, 105. Does the rebuke line up with the word? Your word is a light to my feet, a lamp to my path. Does the rebuke coming in send me back to the word of God? Is it parallel to what the word teaches? And so we ask ourselves, as we receive a rebuke, is it consistent with the word of God? We pray for wisdom when we receive a rebuke. Wisdom is taking what you can from the rebuke and applying it to your life changing as a result of the rebuke. So we would, we would say James chapter 1 uh, says to you and me, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. So the rebuke comes to me and I'm asking myself, is what this person's saying to me, does that line up with scripture? Listen, when you get rebuked, it's a really good idea to have someone else listening to the rebuke with you that can interpret, right, that can interpret what's said to you. Because very often when we are rebuked, we want to defend our motives. That's not what rebuke is about. Rebuke is about understanding should your actions change. And so it doesn't matter in a sense what the motives are. The question is what did you do, right? How are you living your life? So we're asking for wisdom. Don't despise prophecies. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 says, Don't despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. And that seems to say to me that there's going to be rebukes that come our way that have elements of truth and elements of falsehood in them. And we need to not despise them just because they're elements of, there could be elements of falsehood or because they're hard to hear. We need to invite them into our lives and then bring them back to Scripture and say, okay, what can I take from this that's right and good? So let's listen to the rebuke. Let's, let's let it settle into our heart. Let's not be angry at the rebuker because they're rebuking, but let's take from the rebuke what we can apply to our heart and what we can apply to our life. Otherwise, we violate God's command to not despise prophesying. And then we surround ourselves with people who will call you out. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You had a moment in your life of change. You have someone in your life that you invite when the time is right to bring rebuke. You have someone in your life that has brought rebuke and you have gotten angry about it. Do you see what Asa did here? He not only got angry about it and imprisoned the prophet. He sent Hanani to jail. But anybody who was his friend, he began to uh, treat harshly and persecute. He was ticked off. And he would not only not listen to the words of the rebuke, he was angry and, and uh, hard to, uh, to uh, reason with. And he was doing that which was unreasonable in this new season of life. Lastly, in this new season of life, not only are we resisting the urge to reject justified rebuke, we're accepting that rebuke, but lastly, we're resisting the blindness that comes when pride becomes a way of life. It's hard to resist blindness because it comes on gradually and you don't always know it's coming. Resisting blindness, the the exercise to resist blindness is to see clearly every day. And the only means I know of seeing clearly every day is to constantly devote yourself to the Word of God. The specifics of this concept of, of, of pride and arrogance in life has to do with the story of the way that um, Asa's rule ends. Take a look at it in verse 11. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end were written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Now again, it's not wrong to seek help from physicians. It's good and right to receive help from physicians. I see some physicians out here that just got up to leave when I read verse 16, right? There are 12, I mean. No, it's good to seek help from physicians. But the point of this verse is not that we don't seek help from physicians and we only pray about something. The point is that Asa has not humbled himself as God intended this new season to humble him. He has not learned the lesson of going to God first. He has not cried out to the Lord like he did in his earliest days. Can I remind you that in 1 Kings, and even when we read in the Chronicles, Asa's life is characterized by the words, Asa was a good king. What I'm saying to you is the general trajectory of Asa's life was to serve the Lord. This chapter 16 is a footnote of area where he struggled in as he got older and older and more self-sufficient. As he moved through seasons of life and started counting on himself and not start counting on God. It is ironic that Asa's name means physician. His name means Yahweh heals. And at the end of his life, the one thing he would not do is ask Yahweh to heal him. Do you have some course of your life, some trajectory of your life? You've been serving the Lord all the days of your life, but you're in a new season and you're at a perfect moment of your life to ask, 
am I seeking the Lord first? Am I going to him with every decision that I need to make? Am I asking that my life would glorify him in every way? Or have I given in to the temptation to turn to my own money and my own friends? Have I given in to the temptation to to turn away from justified rebuke? Have I given in to the temptation to, to pridefully say to God, I should be old enough now to do this on my own. Don't worry about me. I'm going to do this my own way. And even in the matter when God's help is at the ready, turn to my own way and saying, you know, I just don't do that anymore. I don't ask God for help anymore. And Asa's life, a good king, should be a reminder to you and me You're not supposed to grow independent from God with your life. All the days of your life, God cuts off the the old shoot that would make you self-sufficient and prideful so that he can do new fruit, he can grow new fruit, produce new fruit for today and tomorrow. Rely on the Lord in a new season. He's going to keep his promises to you from the old season. He's going to do it in a new way that requires new faith. And that new way with new faith is for your good. And according to James chapter 1, you are going to be stronger and more mature. You are going to, your faith is going to be seen in the world around you. And you and I should count it all joy when we encounter various kinds of difficulties, knowing that the Lord is at work. You find yourself in a new season today? Trust the old promises. Trust the same God. Let's stand together as we close a word of prayer. Lord, so many in a new season. The end of a high school calendar, For some of us, there's medical seasons that we didn't sign up for. Others of us have friends, have jobs in in new towns. There's a change in relational standing because of proximity. We didn't ask for that. Our hearts ache. But Father... Even in a new season, your promises stand strong. And in a new season, Lord, help us together corporately to resist the urge to turn to our own resources. Help us resist the the urge to be angry at the word of the Lord. Help us, Lord, resist together a tendency to become prideful the longer we serve you. And turn to our own way. But instead, Lord, may we be a a congregation in one respect of babes. Weak. Powerless. Seeking you first, knowing that the Lord's strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. So we commit ourselves to you today now. In Jesus' name, amen.